Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Facebook Live. This is your town hall with the director, and I can see that people are coming into our Facebook Live room through our parents group portal. Glad to have you with us tonight. I put links into the uh, comments section uh, for the Facebook Live entry if you want to go to the Slido page and add any questions if you haven't done so already. And you're also welcome to join us in the Zoom room if you have a question you'd like to ask live or if you'd like to listen on that channel rather than uh, through the Facebook channel, you're certainly welcome to join us. Uh, we do want to keep you muted over here and use the raising hand protocols, but I'm happy to have you join us here. There's a few of us in the room. Uh, Dr. O is in the is in the room. He's back there. Uh, he's on the phone Hi. tonight. <laughs> on the road tonight, Dr. O. <laughs> yeah, temporarily. I should be back uh, in about 35 minutes or so. And that's okay, because we're, we're going to come back to you in a minute. We're uh, going to get started on some of our other things tonight first. And the most important one is we've got uh, a couple of visitors here uh, representing the middle school play. But before I, I bring them online, I wanna get their graphic up on the up on the table here. Hold on while I find, uh, there it is. And right there. So we're all very excited about the Little Mermaid Junior coming to us on December 10th and 11th. And Mr. Stein is in the house. Mr. Stein, turn on your video and unmute and join us here. Hi, Mr. Zerflu. Hi, ASW community. And I think you've got Isabella with us tonight, do we? Isa is here. She's excellent. Awesome. Okay. I've got you both pinned up there and I think it'll switch off to you, but why don't you tell us a bit about the play? And I think you've got something special going on as well. Yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for letting us be here today. The last time we were on with you was back in March, I believe when we were promoting our play, The Little Mermaid Junior. That's right, I remember that. <laughs> um, you know, and then we did our virtual version of the show and uh, and now we're back and it's just amazing that we're here together and about to put on this play. So I'm going to turn it over first to my good friend Isa. She's amazing and to tell you a little bit about what this journey has been like for us. Take it away, Isabella. Thank you, Mr. Stein and thank you, Mr. Zerflu. Um, hi, everyone. Like um, Mr. Stein said, my name is Isa. Vienna School, and I play Scuttle in The Little Mermaid Junior. Some of you might know me from last year's town hall meeting and our virtual mermaid experience. Today I'm back to speak about and announce our production. First, I want to mention how lucky we are to be able to perform. Because of this virus, there were many changes. Many safety guidelines to follow have been taken, and cast members and crew members have left and new people have joined. The cast and crew are smaller than last year, but it only brought us closer. We've presented last year virtually, but ever since the beginning of October, we have been rehearsing to make that virtual world come true. It's something magical both on stage and backstage, an incredibly special experience. Parents and elementary schoolers will be able to see the play live both on Thursday, December 10th and Friday, December 11th from 1.15 to 2.45. I can most definitely guarantee you will enjoy it. Like Sebastian says, we got no trouble. Life is the bubbles under the sea. Thank you. Thanks, Isabella. Mr. Stein, anything to add to uh, what we've got going as a project here? Yeah. Um, first of all, isn't Isa amazing? Absolutely. <laughs> um, what I would like to add is just first that it's it's been an incredible experience to continue to work on this play. Uh, the reason that I asked Isa back is just that she's been there since the very beginning and possibly the most enthusiastic person involved with the play and with the virtual version that we did. So thank you so much, Isa, for your effort. And just wait till you see her on stage as Scuttle because she's fabulous. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is that normally we raise quite a bit of money through ticket sales and other donations for a local orphanage and for the Warsaw Volunteer Mission for the children specifically. Um, we don't have ticket sales this year, but working with uh, Kara Graham, a parent, and Legita Stavarsh, uh, we've come up with a way for people to uh, make a donation 
uh, to the orphanage as part of our play promotion. So uh, the information for that is in the, today's e-notes uh, in the high school section and also in the activities section. So thank you very much to Mr. Sheehan and Mr. Krieger and uh, Mr. Uh, Sidaway for helping, of course, support this production and then helping with making sure that we can still raise some money for the children of the orphanage. These are primarily teenagers. There's 14 kids in the orphanage right now, and we're hoping to raise at least 150 zwati for each teenager because they need, you know, little higher ticket items, clothing, and, and maybe some electronics for the holidays. I think I, I did I see wish list today. So we were all yeah, kind of getting our heads around what it was we were trying to get for the yes, kids. Yes, the kids gave a wish list to Legita. And basically what's going to happen is the money that's donated is going to go directly toward purchasing the items that are on their wish list. And we're going to, you know, spread some additional love from our play out into the community. So I really hope that people do have an opportunity to donate and again, go to the e-notes for the information on how to transfer the money and help out the kids in the orphanage. And I can't wait. I cannot wait. And I'm sure Isa <laughs> for the people in our community to see our play either on the screen on Thursday and Friday or uh, in the theater, which is where the middle school students will get to see it over the two days. And again, thank you, Mr. Zerflu, and to the other school administrators, uh, and particularly Mr. Krieger, who did the math, um, for just working out a, a way to change the schedule so that we can put middle schoolers safely in the seats in the theater, socially distanced in masks, but with the ability to watch our play and cheer on their peers who are going to be on the stage performing. It's truly going to be an amazing thing. Yeah, and I think actually there's a little side shout out as, as well as to the theater staff who've done an amazing job with this, but we can also do a side shout out to Epicsburg and Dr. O because they were the consultants with us that came up with our seating plan and consulted with us to make sure that we could do the seating and, and do smaller groups um, and be able to still utilize our theater in that format. So, you know, we feel like we're being safe, we've done the mitigation, and we're prepared now for, uh, for having these couple of events. And of course, there's live streaming too, right, Mr. Stein? So That's right. we're so doing that as well. Information is also in the e-notes, and people in the community will be able to watch it, and we're hoping and planning that it'll be broadcast into uh, most of the elementary school classrooms over the course of the two days. And, and just also that we, you know, this was tested out during Noises Off, Mr. Pavlos's incredible high school play a few weeks yeah. ago. And it was just so exciting to be in the theater and actually get to have a shared experience. So it was important to me that uh, the middle schoolers could have that shared experience in the theater. And yes, I appreciate very much all the people who went into the planning of that, an app expert. And then also to um, uh, to the elementary kids having a shared experience with the play on the screen in their classroom with each other, and I hope that that's really fun for them as they get to experience uh, what we've created. Yeah, it's going to be a great day. I think everybody's looking forward to it, and it's coming at a great time of year too. This holiday season, and be able to put something like this on, and then also get the charity element back in too obviously in a very different way than what we're used to but uh, we keep holding on to the traditions like we did with un day recently which was also a great success but uh thank you for this mr stein and thank you to your crew and your cast um i'm just Hi excited and looking forward to it here's josie she's excited to see the play josie can you wait you can't wait huh <laughs> All right. All right. Thank, you, so much, Thank you, sir, for joining tonight. I very much appreciate it. And, uh, and Isabel, I think, dropped off. But Isabella, thank you out there for uh, coming tonight and speaking so well about your play and your passion and what you guys are bringing to the stage. Thank you, John. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Well, I'm going to turn off sharing here and just uh, do a couple of quick startup notes. Um, mainly, uh, just if you want to get uh, the most important information, please look at eNotes tonight. Um, eNotes has got some important in information bits in there. It follows on last week's eNotes, which was announcing our uh, post-winter break plan. But also, um, as I said in, in the daily updates, we trotted out a new feature 
relative to recovered students that had a couple of glitches associated with it. We worked through those. And tonight's e-notes has more detailed information about that plan and the linkage to the data associated with that. So uh, please do take a look at the e-notes and that'll help answer a lot of your questions. We are seeing um, a generally stable environment right now. Uh, we've had two days in a row with no cases, which is nice uh, even after coming back from the long weekend. Uh, and we are seeing, at least in, as I was looking at the statistics and data tonight, maybe a little bit of easing of number of daily cases uh, being reported. Uh, and certainly there's also lots of news flying about COVID right now, not all desperate news, but news of vaccination. Uh, we are gonna talk about that a little bit tonight and I saw some questions in the Slido about that, so we'll tackle that then. Uh, but I think one of the important bits tonight was uh, news in the press that the UK had approved the Pfizer uh, COVID vaccine and will actually be starting to immunize as early as next week uh, for their vulnerable populations and for their frontline healthcare workers. It is still very unclear how this is all gonna roll out to the general populace, but every time we talk about, that, it, about this, it seems that the dates are moving earlier. So it has been many, many weeks where I have been able to say I have some hope some uh, hopefulness in, in my mind relative to the things that are going on around us. And uh, it does seem like we're getting bits of, of good or better news uh, that are coming towards us right now. So we're hopeful, um, but we've got still a long ways to go. And I think everybody understands that, that uh, it's a difficult situation and there's lots of challenges um, that we still have yet to face. Um, so, Dr. O, I, I know you're out there, and I, I think I heard you loading in the car there for a second. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and so I want to get the sharing and get the Slido questions up on the screen so we can go right to those right now. And then I'll kind of read them out to you so you make sure which one we're on, and then you can jump right. in where appropriate. Um, the very first one, which uh, got a number of votes tonight, and it's really not a question, but it was really a, a thanks from a parent. Uh, relative to the virtual school decision for the week after the Christmas break. And so thank you for that. And that played out in all of the surveys, uh, both the staff survey as well as uh, the parent survey. It was fairly consistent that there was strong support for the virtual school week. There were differences of opinion on the length of the virtual time. Uh, but I think generally the one week was the one that really received the most positive response. So we're feeling pretty good about that decision. And now all the details are coming together. You will again see some of that emerge in eNotes tonight. You'll have more by next week. And by the final week before we go off to break, uh, you'll have all of the details and everything you need before going off to the vacation so that we can uh, come back into virtual school on the 11th of January and be ready to go. Um, and the details about the testing associated with that week uh, will come out as well. And you'll see this as a defined schedule. And there's some questions here. So let me answer some of this within the context of the questions as we go through tonight. Um, the next one is about the flu vaccination. And so let me first kind of do a backdrop here. We have ordered the flu vaccine based on your uh, feedback on the survey of your interest level. Uh, we've ordered 400 plus doses um, and there uh, we're working on a, on a final shipping arrival date. So we don't have a firm date yet. Um, but that being said, Epixpert and as our partner is gonna be ramping up the logistics associated with actually administering and doing the flu vaccine uh, here at school. And uh, one of the first questions is the names of the pediatricians. I think there's another question further on about names of the doctors involved. Dr. O, do you want to just describe what flu vaccination looks like and, and how you're setting up the logistics for that? Yes, so uh, we will, uh, so, so normally to uh, receive a flu vaccine, at least in uh, in this part of the world, you need to be examined uh, by a physician. And uh, so we are, uh, we have uh, identified two potential physicians and again, we're still working on the schedule. So 
as soon as we have the final ETA of when the vaccines arrive, uh, we will know exactly the names of those and I will certainly share them as soon as we have again the ETA and then I can confirm who can be there, what day, etc. We are looking to have two physicians working uh, concurrently. They need approximately 10 minutes per person to do the, uh, to do the checkup and the qualification. Uh, it may involve an earlier uh, survey, uh, which we would be sending out uh, to you guys so that you can pre-fill everything. And then uh, there will be a brief physical uh, uh, checkup on site, followed by uh, the uh, nurse actually administering the flu vaccine. Uh, we are, uh, as, again, as per guidelines, uh, we will be asking everybody who is immunized to stay on site for at least 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, because, uh, and I know there was a question about side effects as well, but as with any vaccine, there may be some, uh, some side effects associated. So, hence, we ask everybody to stay on site uh, for this 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, in order to make sure that uh, if there are any side effects, we can uh, we can quickly react to them. Uh, as for the dates, again, we will see exactly when that happens. Uh, but we are looking to if uh, if we get it over the weekend, then we will be having the schedule so that uh, it's relatively convenient for you guys to come over in the afternoons of the weekdays and. Uh, Kind of on a full day schedule through the weekends. I know some of you will be traveling uh, right on the 18th, so we will, you know, once we have the schedule, please make sure to sign up. But we will be likely continuing the immunization through uh, the 23rd. Uh, again, if need be, uh, we will see. <clears throat> we will see how that goes and how many people sign up. Uh, but uh, that's how that's how it will look like. So as soon as we have the the final schedule I will provide you with the names. They will be general practitioners, uh, most likely, uh, as any physician can do the qualification. Yeah, so we're really not leaning towards uh, pediatricians because it is going to be broad family screening. Um, it's really just doctors who are schooled in this and able to do uh, the normal Q&A and then the, the, uh, the basic checkup, which is temperature, basic, basic things. Um, and uh, and get you um, through a schedule. And as Dr. O pointed out, we're not really planning to do this during school hours. We're planning to do this after school and in the evenings and on the weekends uh, as our primary schedule because the families do need to come together. And we recognize that for those who are working, that was gonna be the better times for us. So that's what we're planning and we're already planning logistics and setup in order to be able to accommodate that, but it'll be outside school hours, so we won't be competing with um, school-related function uh, in order to be able to pull this off. And again, we're just waiting on uh, confirmation of our date of arrival of the vaccine, and that will drive our schedule, and we'll get it ramped up and up and running and get the sign-up out to you so that you can get um, the appointments and get started on this as quickly as possible. Uh, we know that the there is urgency uh, but as Dr. O points out, for some who are not planning to travel, we realize that we could continue into the first few days of the vacation, and many of you would be able to take appointments there. Uh, we'll give priority to those who are uh, potentially traveling or potentially not going to be available to the earlier appointments. And all of it now is just really literally based on getting the confirmation of the date of arrival. And I can't say enough about our thanks to uh, support uh, from the U.S. Embassy in getting this order together and, and getting um, the um, EU, vac EU certified vaccination. Uh, Epexpert, of course, will be our, our instrumental partner in making sure all the necessary documentation, doctor support, and staff for actually doing the inoculations will be on hand uh, to take care of this. This will be our first time doing a a massive vaccination it is a little bit of a test run for, uh, I think what we all expect is coming down the line for COVID as well. And so I, I, I value that this is a good um, um, thing for our community and for everyone in our community. 
Um, I know there's more flu-based questions coming, so I'm going to hold off at that point, and we'll get to the others as we go further down on the list. Um, Dr. O, uh, the question uh, about the COVID-19 IgM-IgG duo test, um, someone has noted that it's been removed by the FDA um, and, and is stating it should not be distributed. Of course, that's FDA regulation, so that's applicable to the United States. What's your knowledge of, and this is the antibody test, this is not our antigen test. This is the antibody test that's offered as an option by you. And so do you want to talk about it? Because I think you said that there was some other information about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, as, uh, as you said, John, we are uh, bound by the EU uh, regulations. So uh, as long as the tests comply with uh, EU regulations and they are available and approved in Europe, uh, we will be distributing them. Uh, the FDA has uh, different regulations, you know, I mean, it's uh, <clears throat> each, uh, the, the, the approvals, even when you look at the flu vaccines, it's quite interesting that, uh, you know, for example, uh, the uh, intranasal vaccine, uh, which is approved in uh, Europe for ages 2 to 18, is approved in the US for ages 2 to 49. It's exactly the same vaccine, exactly the same. There's no difference, uh, and uh, there are different approvals uh, and different uh, indications. So, uh, and again, we have to comply with uh, EU regulations, uh, and, uh, and uh, as long as uh, approved in the EU, uh, we can and will be selling. Yeah, and again, this is not again, our... The FDA, um, Go ahead. the FDA has actually done a validation of these tests uh, back in June, and they largely confirm the uh, manufacturers. Uh, so I'm, I'm not actually even sure uh, what was the reason of pulling them. Uh, so again, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, again, I, I cannot comment on, <laughs> on the reasons uh, for FDA, FDA's actions, but I, I certainly uh, will comply with, uh, with the European regulations. And currently, under European regulations, it's still widely used. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, still absolutely. part of the uh, thing. But again, this is not our antigen test. This is a secondary test that we offer as a convenience for those who want to do the antibody test. It's also used by, if I'm not mistaken, a number of doctors in the area uh, who are also yeah. utilizing it. So. Um, uh, it's not a mainstream test for us, but I know that you're allowing people to have access to this. And it's really just for primarily for parents uh, who have an interest in determining whether antibodies are present post-infection. Although I think the duo test also determines whether somebody is infectious, but through a different methodology. Is that right? Well, yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, as you guys know, and I have, uh, uh, I have uh, said it many times, uh, uh, we, uh, you know, I never actually recommend to anybody doing these antibody tests, and uh, and that's why when we were discussing with John back in uh, July and August the testing regime, this was never part of the equation <clears throat> uh, because the the information that the te these tests provide mm -hmm. is actually not quite actionable, you know, in my mind because. <clears throat> What these tests actually tell you is that you, your body has had contact or may have had contact with SARS-CoV-2 uh, and uh, produced antibodies against SARS-CoV-2. Now, it doesn't say that you are immune to it forever. It doesn't mm -hmm. say that uh, uh, you are currently sick. Uh, it doesn't tell you when you are sick. Uh, so again, from an actionability perspective, this is quite a limited, uh, of, of quite li limited usefulness. Again, it's it's interesting. It's 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 a curious thing, you know. And I've done it a couple of times, <clears throat> and my wife has done it because she's she's you know twenty five uh, patients every day, so she is very exposed being a healthcare worker. Uh, but it's you know there's not much we can do <laughs> with the yeah. information that it provides. Yeah, excellent. And that's why we settled on the antigen. So we'll just keep yeah. it there. Um, the next question is about, is really probably directed more at me. It says, why are we forcing at school testing if the CDC clearly recommends, quote, it is unethical and illegal to test someone who does not want to be tested, should be voluntary. 
again, we've established this as not diagnostic testing, which I think is what this phrase is applying to. We are doing surveillance testing, and it's a condition of enrollment and a condition to be able to attend school. There is an option if you don't want to be tested. That's why we have hybrid school. Um, but we have a responsibility to protect our community. And it's not uncommon for schools to have requirements for meeting certain criteria of, of healthiness in order to be able to attend school. And that's this surveillance testing that we are doing. And yes, we are requiring it in order to be able to attend school. However, if you don't want to be tested, we have the alternative. We have hybrid school and we have an ability to serve a child's needs under hybrid school. And so again, I think we've answered this question many times is that we have woven it into our health policy and the way in which we serve our entire population by having everyone be checked for a potential for spreading illness to others. And that's what surveillance testing is all about. And we have all the evidence to support that it's working, that, that we are catching infections at the door and before they become more troublesome to our community. We have a minimal amount of internal spread. The vast majority of cases are externally uh, uh, sourced um, and, and we're identifying them and we're keeping them out of our community. And I think that's what surveillance testing is all about. I don't know, Dr. O, am I on the right track here? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm, uh, I'm a bit baffled uh, why this question still comes up. Um, because the, you know, as much as in August, you know, I think we were breaking new ground probably at that time because mm -hmm. there was a lot of science, there was a lot of good evidence, but I, I think, I mean, the, the ASW was one of the first institutions around the world to introduce this uh, surveillance uh, asymptomatic testing on such a large scale. Uh, but now this is kind of commonplace. I mean, uh, you know, look at Slovakia, you know, they have actually tested not a school, but they have tested the entire country uh, over the three weekends. So they said, okay, you know, uh, this COVID is asymptomatic in nature. So even if we test the symptomatic guys, we're missing like 50, 60% of those who are spreading. So let's test everybody. So they tested the entire population one weekend, second weekend, third weekend. They reduced the number of infections by about 82%. Now there's a great uh, scientific publication based on this, uh, uh, which is just absolutely fascinating. And by the way, they also did what uh, ASW is doing. They said, you don't have to be tested, but if you choose not to be tested, then you have to stay home for 14 days. <laughs> and we also, I think you and I were sharing articles back and forth, yeah. and there were two just within the last couple of days, one yeah. that noted, and it was kind of subordinate in the article, it wasn't the lead headline, but it's subordinate in the article about New York schools yeah. that were looking to start to reopen was that they were going to use weekly testing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, then, and then this morning, as I was watching my hometown news, uh, Cairo 7 in Tacoma, Washington, Seattle area, um, they were also identifying a school district that has decided that the only way that they can open is by going to weekly testing. Yeah. And, and, and that's, the, that's their pathway to being able to open. So um, it's, and then we've got, uh, as the white paper suggests, multiple colleges, multiple other schools, private schools, and other schools around the world. It's basically the only thing that's keeping schools from doing this more is just access. And thanks to you, we have access to the materials and resources to be able to do this. I, I've been talking to CISA heads. They would all do it tomorrow if they had yeah, access exactly. to the tests and they had access to a company like Epixpert to be able to help them uh, put it into play, but they would do it immediately. And actually a few CISA schools are starting to pull it together and are yeah. starting to find ways to get access to the necessary resources to make this happen because testing is becoming more available. And as we predicted, more and more uh, effective in terms of being able to address this surveillance health issue. So uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, next question up is about communicating, com com official communication, teachers at ASW are satisfied. I don't think I, ever said that everyone's satisfied. I did not say that all parents were satisfied either. We always have a range of opinion. 
And I think some of the charts I even shared uh, demonstrated that there was a range of opinion and that staff who are on the front lines um, are mixed in their opinion. You know, that, that there are many that have written me messages and say, I'm very satisfied. And in their comments have said, um, I'm very happy with what the school's doing to protect me. Um, and others who are less satisfied, who are concerned uh, and have a degree of fear. We're on the front line, it's to be understood. And I think last, last time we were together, I wanted to make it very clear how much I appreciate staff and, and what they've taken on in terms of the stress and the fear and concern that's associated with taking on this challenge. That being said, re-looking at the data, going back to the beginning of the school year, we have not a single case that was a transmission from a student to a staff member. And I think that's an important statistic, not, not complete because there's lots of other data and, and, and it hasn't been as smooth a ride as we would have hoped, but we, we have done, I think, what our protocol suggested we would try to accomplish. And, and I'm feeling a little bit proud of that. And, and yet at the same time, I'm circumspect because I know we're still in the middle of this and it's not over yet. Uh, but I do want to make it clear, I'm not saying everyone is happy on either side, whether I'm talking about parents or staff or students even. I think there are many students who are blissfully happy with what we're doing and others that are still uh, concerned. And I, and I glean that from my middle school model United Nations group as we talk about this issue within the context of the United Nations um, and how they're doing. And it gives me a chance to do a little bit of a, a dipstick, a litmus test, if you will, of how things are going. And they give me all kinds of insight into how they're feeling about this whole thing. And I know it's daunting for all of us, uh, but I do think we're better when we're together and when we're here at school and when we're facing this challenge together, that I think has continued to prove itself. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, when children will be vaccinated against COVID, will they still have to go through the regular school testing? We kind of giggled about this one, I think when we saw it. Uh, no, obviously not. Uh, you know, the testing uh, goes off the table for vaccinated. And the thing we're trying to think ahead on, Dr. O, I'm talking about the vaccination against COVID yep. and no longer testing. And I think you and I are kind of putting our heads together to think about what is, we're thinking down the far path, the long term. What does this transitional path look like when we have some vaccinated, some not vaccinated, and how our protocols we'll have to adjust for that. And, uh, and this is gonna take a while because we, even though the UK is vaccinating next week, we don't actually have confirmation that there will be this broad access to a COVID vaccine in short order. Yeah, so, you know, I made a recently a very good back of the envelope calculation of um, what needs to happen in terms of vaccinations for the pandemic to stop. So the pandemic will stop when we achieve herd immunity okay, right. as, a, as a population. Herd immunity will be achieved for SARS-CoV-2 when we get approximately 70% of the population vaccinated or immune, in other words, so either vaccinated uh, by nature or vaccinated by the vaccine. And by nature, meaning by having had an infection. Mm -hmm. Now, 70%, now, if you think about it, you think, okay, so that's not not too bad 70%, but you start thinking, okay, so the, the vaccine has an efficacy of 95%, okay? Mm -hmm. Now there is approximately 25% of the population will have contraindications to, to getting the vaccine right up front. So pregnant women, kids under 18, it has not been tested in kids under 18, by the way. Uh, so I don't know how they will approach this. Um, people with um, uh, with uh, oncologic with cancer uh, and on, on cancer treatments, etc. There's approximately 25 to 30 percent of people who will uh, not qualify to receive the vaccine because it, it, there will be a contrary. They're outside the parameters. They're outside the parameters. <laughs> so once you get these two multiplied, so 95 percent times 75 or even 80 percent. Uh, you get to a number where in order to get 70% of herd immunity, you need to vaccinate 95% of the population. 95% right? of the remaining population. 95% of the remaining population, correct. Oh, wow. So that's, I mean, again, in the Polish uh, situation, 
Uh, that means 20% uh, is contraindicated, so about 7.8 million. So you need to get about 28 million people vaccinated in Poland. To get to herd immunity. To get to herd immunity, okay? And still, again, you will have, and that, that means you, you actually have to get it relatively quickly because if immunity lasts for 12 months, then after 12 months, you're in ground zero again. Yeah. You still have to start from scratch to immunize everybody. Because again, likely it will not be longer than 12 months. So right. you basically have to, at any point in time, have 70% of the population uh, immune mm -hmm. uh, to stop the pandemic. So again, it's going to be quite a logistical challenge, A, to get the vaccine into the primary care physician offices at minus 70 Celsius, mind you. Yeah. At least the Pfizer one. And then getting 28 million people vaccinated. Somebody calculated it will take all of all the Polish healthcare workers to work 24-7 for about 300 days. So for about, yeah, for about a year. So it's really going to be spread out over multiple years. Yeah. So uh, again, I, you know, we, we will we will obviously see how it will work. Um, but uh, to be honest, um, you know, uh, we, we will have to find a way of, 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 how to, of how to weave in, again, testing, vaccination. Okay to work will be a great, okay for school will be a great tool, by the way, uh, because it will immediately show us and give us the statuses of people who got vaccinated, who still need to be tested, how long, for how many months they will be vaccinated, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think we will have all the tools necessary to actually manage the population uh, efficiently in that way. Uh, but again, we have to wait how, how that will actually work. Which means, again, as we're strategizing about next semester and next year, we really are looking at protocols that are going to be in place for an extended period of time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because even if we do get some, even if it does get approved for children, which is kind of the first hurdle, and then becomes available for children, there still is a problem with quantity and, 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 and getting it distributed. And then, like you said, temperature and all these other factors, it's only gonna be hospitals that are gonna be administering this vaccine. It's not like our flu vaccine where we, you know, trot out 400 doses and have our doctors and nurses on site doing it. Um, it really is something that's gonna take more time. And it's probably gonna be targeted to viable, vulnerable populations first who need to be protected. So we're looking at a school mixed environment where we're gonna to continue to surveillance test and protect while some portion of our population may be vaccinated. Maybe some of our kids who've stayed on hybrid because they're vulnerable will be able to come back to school because they get vaccinated. Um, but broad swaths of our population may not be on our immediate horizon. Correct. Um, the next question is about family-based testing. And this is where I've got to apologize. I used these words before and I should have known better. Please, everyone, family-based testing does not mean we're testing parents. It's just the way we're doing appointments for the week that we come back. So family-based testing means you gather up all the kids in the family and you come together to a single appointment to do your antigen testing. No, we are not testing parents. It's just the kids you're bringing in. And uh, again, my apologies. I should have learned my lesson the last time I used family-based drive-through testing. Uh, I, it should be children of the family-based <laughs> uh, testing. And that schedule will be just like we did it in October. We'll be using um, uh, PowerSchool and Scholastico built into it, uh, our partner, uh, to schedule your appointments. And you'll be doing just two drive-through testing during that week with your with just your children. And, uh, and that'll get us back on schedule, which will take us then into reopening school quickly on the 18th and make sure that we have our bubble back in place. Um, uh, Dr. O, can you please, well, this is doctor again. I think we already answered this. Yep. We've got the doctor names. We'll come, we'll come back with those, don't worry. Um, after the holiday break. Well, that's in your e-notes tonight. It was in your e-notes last week. We will be in virtual school for a week and the testing will be scheduled. You'll be choosing your appointments for that for two times 
uh, during that week. And uh, it'll a bit, the timing will depend a little bit on your family dynamics. So if you have all upper school kids, it's most likely going to be afternoon. If you have a mix of upper school and elementary kids, it's also probably going to be mostly afternoon. But if you have elementary kids, you'll have more morning options to potentially bring the kids in uh, for testing and then head back for your virtual school at home. And all of the amazing things that we've got planned to engage the kids during that week, uh, both synchronous and asynchronously. So there you go. Uh, let's see. Um, don't understand the need for virtual school after Christmas. Well, it was based on a community-wide call for input uh, and thinking. There is also science behind it. We're going to spend three weeks without testing. And so we'll have a gap in time. And we won't have a test uh, the week prior to coming back because of the various schedules. We weren't convinced that we could get everybody in uh, before the start of school. And so having that week to take a breather, check our community and make sure everybody's safe uh, was the, the conclusion of the majority. Um, so that's, that's the need. It is really about kind of like back in August when we were ready to start up the school year and we had a big gap in time. And so it's an essential period for us to make sure that all of our protocols are in place and that uh, everyone is in a good shape. And, and you're right, if you're not traveling it seems like you don't need to do it, but you're still gonna have exposure within the community and without a test to help you see it. And that means others will have that as well. And that's a potential for spread asymptomatically without knowing that you're doing it. So it may, it's not enough just not to travel. You really have to also remain a bit hunkered down uh, during the vacation in order to protect yourself and family members. Um, and that's why we want to do the week of virtual school and make sure we test and protect everybody here at school before we come back uh, physically on the 18th. All right. How soon after taking an individual PCR test can we find out the result? This is the one we talked about a little bit earlier. And if we need a certificate, will it be available in the app? Dr. O, you want to take that one? Yeah, so the PCR tests normally now take about 24 to 48 hours for the result. And uh, you, when you take the PCR test, you get the, a number uh, and login information for Diagnostica because we use Diagnostica or Warsaw Genomics, but uh, you will get information where to log in and how to log in and the certificate will be available uh, on that website. And, and you also mentioned that on the antigen tests, you can also provide documentation. Absolutely. We're, if we're not we it, it's a variety of uh, different entities involved in terms of whether they'll accept that or not. But Poland has added antigen as a viable one to their list. And yeah, so you yeah, have absolutely. to check with who you're providing it to to say, will antigen suffice? And then they should just contact you and they can get documentation of antigen absolutely. tests as well. Absolutely. It okay. need be, usually it's needed when it's a positive test, but obviously we can issue a positive and negative. I know, for example, I know you guys are not going to travel, but if you do, uh, Italy, for example, they accept antigen tests. Many other countries already started accepting antigen test results mm -hmm. as well. So uh, happy to provide. Great. Um, next question is about volunteer students singing and or playing and recording a Christmas carol. I think we've got some musical things planned. They will do some things in music classes. So um, just stay tuned on that. I think there's lots of uh, good things planned as we get closer to the holidays. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, Dr. O, regarding the flu and COVID vaccine, what are your thoughts about side effects if it's the first time for the flu vaccine? Well, uh, you know, the side effects are uh, quite well documented for the flu vaccine. For, the, for COVID, obviously, you know, we will be learning uh, as we go, as we go, <laughs> as we go. Uh, so, um, you know, typically the most common, uh, the most common side effect is actually, a, you know, some sort of kind of a we call it subclinical infection, okay? So you, you may feel a bit down, you may have, uh, um, I'm talking about the flu again, uh, COVID, we don't know. 
but for the flu vaccine, uh, you, you may have some uh, kind of, uh, again, a bit, uh, you, you may be feeling a bit down for a couple of days. Uh, you may, another uh, common side effect is uh, an irritation around the place of, uh, of injection, okay? And, uh, and again, uh, once we have the, uh, the exact uh, flu vaccine, uh, each of you will receive the, the leaflet uh, so you can read up kind of on the 55 different uh, other side effects that have been ever documented. Because again, this is a requirement by the way of uh, pharmaceutical companies <clears throat> when they have, um, when they um, do uh, post-marketing uh, surveillance. So means the product is on the market and then they, Every time there is a side effect that is um, <clears throat> that is uh, submitted, they actually have to uh, change the leaflet. So they have to up, uh, update the leaflet, saying, "Okay, what?" As as soon as the side effect is a documented side effect of the drug, even if it's one if it's one in a million, it has to be documented. So that's why sometimes, even for aspirin and for other things, you will have a list of fifty-five different things that ever it's that, have. Aspirin. It's that piece of paper that you take out of them package Correct. right and you unfold and you unfold and you unfold and, you unfold. <laughs> and by the time you're done you have this long thing that you have to work. there you are there you are there you are uh, I should mention too uh, for those who signed up for the flu vaccine I don't know if I mentioned this earlier but the flu vaccine that we have coming is um, is going to be limited to four years old and above and so we are looking at whether we can potentially get um, some additional um, nasal vaccine, which is uh, for young, potentially for younger children, uh, but we haven't confirmed that yet. So just be aware, we may not have anything for under four this time around. And we're looking for sources and, and ways in which to support that, but just be aware. The other question here was first time flu vaccine takers. And I actually did not know this, and that's um, a need to take a second dose. Yeah, four weeks later. So. If you're taking the flu vaccine first time ever, ever in your life. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't mean that you, if you, if you took it five years ago or even a year ago, but a different one, it already counts as the first time. Now, but if this is the first time ever that you take any flu vaccine, then you will have to repeat the dose four weeks later, exactly four weeks later, plus minus, but <clears throat> it's uh, recommended as four weeks later. So it, so we will be ready, obviously, for that, uh, for those who have taken it for the first time. Who will and that, have and I think we talked about it. We've already kind of, in our minds, scheduled out when that second <laughs> dose will be and return to school for us to take care of that. Right. So anybody yeah. that does our program, if you're a first time flu vaccine taker, and I'm thinking this might be quite a few people, um, just given what we know about the statistics on flu vaccine, um, be curious. I didn't actually ask that in the survey. I probably should have. Are you a first-time flu vaccine yeah, exactly. taker? Um, and, and find out how many we're going to have to reserve in order to make sure we have that second dose. So, uh, But we are prepared for that, and we are, we are aware of that and the need for that. So please know we'll be ready. Um, there's a question here about, um, has there been any discussion on shortening any upcoming breaks for an earlier start to the summer break? Um, not so far. Uh, it's early yet, and, and I think that discussion will probably be part of um, board conversation in January after we see a little bit more how we go through this, um, this bubble. And if there's another bubble, uh, you know, everybody's talking about the second winter wave. Um, that we may be facing. Um, we're hopeful we won't, but you know, the data is on the table that says it's possible. Um, and then look at that in making decisions about the second semester. Currently, we've planned for um, mitigation effects for both the uh, spring break um, and the February break so that we have, like the um, winter break, uh, not a full week, but a couple of days that will allow us to come back to school safely. And it's anybody's guess whether we'll be seeing any potential for travel during those breaks. I think unlikely just based on what we've been discussing on vaccines and everything else um, that um, it's gonna be a while. Uh, so no on shortening year and extending summer yet. But if you have 
thoughts about that, I would suggest, please feel free to send those to me. I'll compile those and I'll bring that into board conversation. Um, and I'm happy to you know, make sure that we have dialogue on that. Uh, but thus far, no specific plans on changing um, the school year calendar. Um, first time flu vaccine, we covered that. Um, I covered the ages. So we're gonna start at four. Yes, you can get the flu vaccine down as young as two, uh, but it's a different vaccine. And we have to look at the different ones that are out there in order to cover the younger population. So that'll take care of that. Um, the three month exception for testing. So it's in e-notes tonight, Dr. O. You and I talked it over and made sure that uh, we were all copacetic on this. And this is CDC guidelines. Yep. And it is basically once you've recovered, and that applies to 60 people in our population, uh, you are free of a need to do testing for 90 days. And that's because we have enough data now that says that that makes sense, right? Yes. So uh, again, based on the information that we have so far, uh, it uh, appears that for 90 days from the initial uh, infection. So we actually have, just to uh, build on what you said, John, so we have uh, the 90 day exception is from the date of the test, not from and the And I apologize, I was incorrect on my first write up of uh, that. And so uh, I had to correct that today. It's from the date of the test. Uh, uh, the likelihood of reinfection is extremely low, if any. So there has been one documented case so far. So, you know, there's like whatever, 35 million cases all around the world of COVID. And there's one documented case of somebody who has had a reinfection yet with a different strain of the SARS-CoV-2 uh, mm -hmm. 48 days after the initial uh, infection, okay? All the other six documented cases. So again, there's not, a, not many cases that have been documented. I'm not saying that there are not undocumented cases, but those that have been documented, uh, the, the six others were way beyond 90 days, okay? So- How, how long do you think it'll be before we find out through science and through the research studies what the actual immune period will be? I mean, how, how long do we, I mean, I mean, really this is a very young virus. Yeah. For all extents and purposes, I mean, we're literally what about eight months into this, nine months really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long before we have kind of definitive decisions on what the immunity period is? We know 90 days is solid because we have only this one case in, in all of the documented reality so far. There is only about a dozen or so, we think. Yeah. Um, there may be others that we don't know about because remember, we've got cases we don't know. But how long will it take the research to kind of catch up with this question and give us some degree of certainty? You know, the, the best research will be from the vaccine studies because, you know, remember a vaccine is basically an artificial way of inducing immunity. Uh, so it works, you know, it works not by getting you infected, but getting your, your body exposed or getting your immune system exposed to the same type of protein on the outer shell of the virus that you get when you get an, an actual infection. So rather than having the whole virus, you're just getting exposed to one little piece of the virus, which is inactive and is not dangerous. But the effect is the same, you get antibodies. So for now, we have an observation period of uh, eight weeks after the vaccine studies. And the, uh, the actual measurement of the uh, efficacy was at two weeks post second dose, okay? So again, the protocol for COVID will be the same as for flu for the first time takers and for COVID, everybody will be a first time taker. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to have two doses, three to four weeks apart, depending on which vaccine. And uh, the efficacy data that you see published, so the 94, 92, whatever percent, comes from an observation from a cutoff point of two weeks after the second dose. So we only have an observation of two weeks. In oh, wow. Okay. For now. Okay. Obviously it will grow because the study participants in the original trials, they will be observed for, you know, very carefully 
for the next months, obviously, to determine exactly what that, that, which is how long are they immune? How long will they stay infection-free? They will have their antibodies measured quantitatively, but by the most precise measurements for the next 12 months or even longer to again determine a, do they get the antibodies? A, B, what is the level of antibodies? C, how long does it last? How, when does it wane, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we will be seeing this data as, you know, as they get published. Uh, uh, and obviously we hope that the 90 days is uh, extremely cautious and extremely uh, kind of careful estimate for now. Because if that were the case, that means we would have to be taking the vaccine every three months. Well, this is it, right? And and then and then and then it's like, how doable is that? How doable how is that? How sustainable is that? Exactly, exactly. So we hope. Uh, again, for now, we say ninety days because this is the evidence we have. And remember, again, as you said, it's a short uh, it's a short time of observation we have. There is some data from the first SARS and from other coronaviruses. So remember, right. this is kind of the fifth or whatever is the coronavirus that we are we have. That the, the 90 day is a relatively is really safe for now. Uh, but again, we, we, we do hope that it's at least six months, at least 12 months, to be honest, like with the flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. uh, with the flu vaccine, it's about six months. Uh, uh, that we actually don't have to get vaccinated uh, more frequently than once a year mm -hmm. or twice a year. Mm -hmm. Is there any, I, 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 this is the non doctor in me, but is there any potential that? as the refinements come from this and as they learn more and more about this virus, does this, this vaccine become potentially includable in a broad spectrum vaccine that maybe it comes with flu vaccine? Because we know flu vaccine is changing every year and adding new strains to it and new protections to it. I mean, could COVID go to that level where it just gets incorporated into annual immunization? It could. Uh, <clears throat> again, you know, I, I think for now we were kind of, we, I mean, the, the pharmaceutical companies were racing to get anything out there. Right. Okay. Uh, and uh, we will see how that goes. Again, it will be, a, a, you know, the, the biggest, uh, in a way, clinical trial ever performed in the history of humanity. Uh, once we get these, you know, 100,000 millions, tens of millions, billions of doses into our bodies and observe what is happening, uh, because we don't know. And remember these two vaccines that are the, at the forefront and the Pfizer one, which will we uh, they will start administering in the UK next week, is a completely novel technology. Yeah. Right? Completely novel. This is like the space, uh, you know, the Falcon uh, 9, you know, that uh, SpaceX was doing. It's, it's kind of that novel. Okay? Yeah. It has never been tried before. It has the potential to be a breakthrough, but it has never been taken by humans ever before. Okay. It was wow. trialed here and there, but it was never taken by humans. So, um, so we will be learning a lot as we as we go. It's a fascinating, you know, and I could go on for hours, obviously, the, uh, explaining how it works. But it's a fascinating approach of how, uh, you know, we will be triggering our own cell to actually produce a protein that normally is on the surface of the virus to actually be, be produced by our own cells. So our mm. own our own uh, lymph node cells, you know, the right. lymph nodes will be producing the, the spike or the end protein, depending on which vaccine, which normally is, sits on the outside of the virus. The cells will be producing them and then shedding them out on their surface to these, they're called MHC, so major histocompatibility complex. So these are kind of receptors that present these foreign bodies to our immune system, okay? So to our T cells and B cells. So these proteins will be, uh, produced, manufactured by our cell, then exposed by these MHC complexes on their surfaces. And then the T cells and the B cells will see, oh my God, this is a foreign body. Uh, I have to start attacking this foreign body. Yeah. So uh, this is com it's a completely fascinating because normally we would be injecting the protein or the virus live or attenuated or a fragment of the virus. Here, we're actually telling our cell, okay, here's the information to manufacture a protein 
that normally sits on the virus, but actually you will manufacture it instead of us injecting it to you. So we're actually manufacturing the key part, marker that yeah, then the, the body virus. learns how to fight internally. Exactly. It's teaching exactly. itself. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's fascinating. Exactly. It is. I mean, and I've read some of these too, and 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 you know this idea of a transport mechanism and they just insert the cassette into it in order to tell it it's COVID and then that's the delivery mechanism. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of things they're talking about that is this um, genetic development of these uh, these new <laughs> these new immunizations. Uh, but I think some of the key scientists who are working on this also worked on MERS and never quite got anything. Never got it. MERS. Yeah. And so they're building on that technology and, and attacking COVID, and they seem to be having better results this time out of the box. But it is one big experiment. It is one big experiment. And again, it's fascinating, uh, you know, that uh, literally on, next year will be the 60th year anniversary of decoding this protein synthesis mechanism in our bodies. <clears throat> so the one which we will actually be using to, to stimulate, to produce a foreign protein. You know, again, this has never been done before. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> Normally, we're producing our own protein. You know, the, the enzymes that we need, the serotonin, the endorphins, etc. Mm. Uh, but here, we will be stimulating our own cells to produce a completely foreign protein, a completely foreign body. <laughs> I can, I can feel the giddiness in the way you're explaining it. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like it's so exciting to the scientist. <laughs> it's great. I, I turned the screen off, but Isabel, no problem. And thank you for your questions tonight. And, and thank you for your praise as well. And we always, uh, always appreciate your involvement here. So thank you for that. And thank you to all the parents and others who submit questions to Slido. I do love it when you turn off the anonymous and throw your name in there, but uh, we're welcoming your questions anytime and very happy to take those on. And we've completed Slido for tonight. I'm looking over at the Facebook channel. I'm not seeing any others uh there were a few questions about the play which is good that we all like about the play uh but i'm not seeing any other questions so i think we may be done tonight dr o all right yeah, maybe get That's back right. to the kids after their yeah. after their tennis lessons tonight and i i'm gonna head home as well um i guess the the final message out to our community is just stay the course uh you know we are making um amazing progress here we have whipped this uh uh, I, I hate to sound like the prime minister who last week was saying we beat the virus, right? And <laughs> I don't want to go that far, but I, I do feel like, uh, you know, with numbers more under control and with two days of new cases under our belt, it does feel like uh, maybe we're, as I said at the beginning, finding some hope in this, uh, that we've got the right things in place and that we can keep taking care of each other, working as a community um, to keep COVID-19 at bay. Um, I think the main, the main thing is that you guys are doing something, you know, you're active, you're proactively managing this pandemic, you're not letting the virus take over, you know, it's a small little shitty thing, sorry for my uh, bad language, but, you know, you cannot, you, we, I mean, I simply cannot believe that the world just, you know, succumbed to this little creature, uh, but uh, it's so nice to see that ASW and some others also around the world are saying, you know, let's take the bull by the horns and, uh, and uh, you know we we're much smarter than this uh, little creature, and uh, we can manage it better. So, uh, so uh, kudos to you guys for for the courage and uh, and the determination and the persistence. Thank you, sir, and thank you again, as always, for your partnership and for your wisdom. We appreciate you every time we have you on board with Pleasure. us. Pleasure. Uh, we have one more session together, and I'll bring Dr. O along with me as we go into the holiday, and we'll probably be talking about flu vaccine. But in two weeks' time. Uh, the week before we go off to vacation, we'll be back together for one more town hall. All right. Dr. O, thanks again. Have a good Thank evening. Thank you. Have a good evening. Yeah. I'm going to bring up, uh, hopefully, my exit music here. And again, thanks to everyone who's out there in um, the warrior land, uh, virtual land. Uh, very much appreciate you all joining us tonight and have a pleasant evening.